This is Jeff Combs. You're listening to Nightmare Junket. Get a job at a sideshow. Out of your consciousness, like a bad dream you can't wake from, this is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that appreciates a film that can launch both a thousand phobias and a thousand fetishes. My name is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And on today's episode, our month-long panic attack continues as we offer up some of the uh, conversations had and memories made Mm -hmm. from this year's Panic Film Festival. And whether you've uh, gotten caught in a mosh or not, you can listen into our show. Simply search for Nightmare Junkhead wherever podcasts are played. Hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, we'll download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your puppet hole. <laughs> uh, and you can find us actually kind of puppeteering mm-hmm. our way out on social media. Uh, you can find us out on Twitter at Nightmare Junk and on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. And it is on that book of face where we have an events tab, which leads to shenanigans and black mold shenanigans. And this episode is going to be releasing on a Friday, May 12th. You find yourself in the Kansas City area. <laughs> moldy head- shenanigans. Yeah, I was going to say, beware <laughs> if you find yourself having moldy shenanigans. But you know what? Where you will not find yourself having moldy shenanigans? Mm. Screenland.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, while you're at Screenland.com, uh, check out the Friday Night Fright tab. And the epi- the day this is releasing, Genius, our latest Friday Night Fright, was a participant Yes. in Into the Mouth of March Madness back in 2020. Is Technically, now celebrating its twenty third year of terror. Mm-hmm. Sawa's family. Sawa's always, and it's part of the Sawazons. But going back to that OG Final Destination, yeah, that launched a franchise, but started with an old fashioned Death's Door, Rube Goldberg esque wackiness. I love this franchise with Tony Todd. Craziness, craziness. Going to have a lot of fun with that. But no, actually. Looking forward then to next Friday night's Friday. Ooh, am I not pretty enough? What Lola wants, Lola gets. This movie's rad. I'm glad we're bringing this for Friday Night yes. Frights because more people need to see this wackiness. Well, and anytime you get to go to Australia, mm-hmm. and this actually did play at Friday Night Frights right when we kicked things off, mm-hmm. right when you were not able to attend a lot of those. And unfortunately, not a lot of people attended it, so I am going to challenge everyone out there. Oh, I hope people come. I hope people come. This you movie. You need to come out for Lola's performance. She is so good the in this movie. L- beloved ones. Oh, Lord have mercy. If, if I was to <laughs> nerd knowledge this, oh, I would probably say Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm-hmm. plus um, Hostel plus 16 Candles. And it, it goes places because it's Australian. Yeah. But it also features one of the performers in the movie Meg. Yeah. When we had that revelation. So Megalodon. A lot to take in with the loved ones. Now, that being said, uh, the other repertory screenings that are going to be happening on the weekend of the 12th. And one, it's an I've seen that. Mm-hmm. And it was, I can't even say it was divisive when it was released. Because you either enjoyed it. Okay, it was divisive. Because you either enjoyed it or hated it. 
but not a lot of people loved it. Uh, Darren Aronofsky's Mother! I That's when I've seen that for me, because I heard that either you love it or hate it, and I'm like, I like this, but I don't like that. I heard pros and cons, and I'm like, I'm going to wait a couple years before I see it. Given your relationship with some of the more pretentious potential pot- mm-hmm. potentially pretentious films mm-hmm. it's probably best to steer clear from that now another one that i know is that i've seen that for you and it's not so much of word of mouth as much as it is the the voice in your head because greta gerwig is another filmmaker <laughs> up and comer i dug little women and i'm not gonna lie i'm looking forward to barbie but i know i can't watch this one with you because the giggling's already started before I got into what is the title of it? Ladybird. <laughs> We're gonna watch a movie. And then here comes Bob Bobby to the flowers of time. I can't do it. Ladybird. It's it's I'm, I'll just laugh the whole time and it'll probably be the most inappropriate thing. Something horrible's gonna happen and like not my lady bird ball, right? And I'm just going to start laughing. Here's the thing. The pre-show I programmed was made for an audience of one, but now technically anyone that's listening to it this weekend, just know it's part for you as well. You're welcome, Genius McGee. Now, from a movie that neither of us have seen to a, a movie that we both freaking love and we have talked about on this main feed, Jonathan Winter's <laughs> Serial Mom. With the pussy willows. My <laughs> Watching that film was so revelatory. And knowing my adoration of... of Isn't Kath- it great? She Isn't is sinking great? her teeth into every single thing in that movie. You can't help but love a Jonathan Winters movie. And when he gets to play in <laughs> the, the, the normal suburbs, so right? to speak. Oh, so much fun. For those so of you who are like, what the fuck is he talking about? Is Jonathan, John Waters is Jonathan Winters. Yeah, you got to go only not too terribly not too long terribly back. Fun. Only about a, oh, a few, only about a hundred episodes <laughs> yeah. in our catalog. Only a quarter, quarter deep. Now, another one that's, and I've seen that, but it invo- it stays in a genre that I love. Uh, the surfing film. Mm-hmm. I grew up with a little film called The North Shore, but I've never seen The Endless Summer. I neither have I. Okay, just curious. I was just like, well, maybe not. I'm not going to see movies about things that I'm not going to do. All I know is this is one <laughs> that John Milius loves uh-huh. because he himself is not being only someone that loved guns, but he loves surfing. And thankfully, loved Conan. There's two. I'm not going to go out on the beach because, you know, as soon as you go in the water, you're it, a couple of the rungs down. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, of course, if you're not in the Kansas City area and Screenland sounds like a pretty rad place that you'd like to help out, well, there are a number of ways you can do it, but the easiest is becoming a member of their film family uh, by going to patreon.com slash screenland. I'm a genius. I'm talking Patreon and film family. Hey, Polly's. <laughs> Ladybird is here. My kid's in the head now. Now I know. That threw me off. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, we also have a... a I'd Damn like it. to think a people, if they could, we would all be standing in a back alley just talking amongst ourselves. We'd have a boom hour. You know, we'd have all the various characters. And Why does everybody keep calling me Burl? <laughs> Thankfully, though, we have a new addition to our film family genius. Then let me give him a proper. He bellies. <laughs> and this particular person is no stranger to Screenland. Uh, they're no stranger to a lot of genre films. And in fact, they're no stranger to Friday Night Frights. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to uh, Caroline Newman. Yeah. 
as she not only took in disturbing behavior with us, she, she won the prize. Away. Yes. Yeah. That's a and that was an interesting find that I found. It was the old block had the blockbuster sheet and everything. Ma- I, a Matthew Lillard jam. I'm, and it's and I've seen that. And I'm glad it's going to uh, to a good home. It, you know, not only is it going to a good home, but uh, the last Carpenter Fest that happened. Uh, when the Escape from L.A., when the title credits were going, mm-hmm. and it said, and produced by Deborah Hill, there was a, yeah! And that, yeah, came from Caroline. Well, because Deborah Hill's rad. Caroline's and rad. Fucking A. And then uh, you can also read her bylines uh, over at Pitch KC. In fact, she was at Panic Fest and has a nice article on Ted Gigan's Brooklyn 45. Mm-hmm. So I still want to watch that movie. I do, too. It looks cool, and it sounds great. It's it's. I've heard nothing but good things. It's got Fessenden in it. I know it's got too many cooks. I'm ready for it. <laughs> but sincerely, uh, we appreciate you, Caroline, uh, joining us. You're fucking rad. And we will see you out at Screenland sometime. Now, mm-hmm. uh, of course, at her level, she can actually, if she would like, I three times a week release my thoughts on uh, movies I'm watching for the first time, first time reactions, and I am 450 some odd. First time viewing Zen Genius. Nice. I've gone all over the board, and there's so many more that I'm looking forward to mm-hmm. that I cannot wait. So uh, if you'd like to have access to that and so much more, head on over to patreon.com slash nightmarejunkhead, where, again, we have a lot of more members of the film family added, actually, after mm-hmm. this last little bit of fun that we had. Welcome, one <laughs> of us, Google Spe- yeah, speaking of the Gooba Gobble and the Panic Film Festival, man, the dispatches. Mm-hmm. We were busy this year. Yes, we were. And we, we were busy. Go back to last week's episode talking about some of the highlights and the lowlights. But occasionally, though, we get the opportunity and the pleasure of joining and talking to some of the artists and filmmakers mm-hmm. at the festival that are getting to experience either their film, their short, or some element of something they contributed to up on the big screen. And this year was no different. Oh, yeah. We had a number of them. In fact, we've got five dispatches that we have lined up here for you. And we're going to do a little bit of a traditional intro for them. In fact, the first one that we're going to launch into was our talk with filmmaker Evan Marlowe. Mm -hmm. And it should be noted, our talk came before the screening of his film Abruptio. Mm Mm-hmm. Of which you attended. Yes, I did. And you did do the Q&A, which unfortunately we couldn't record. But a trip was had. It was wild. I've I've seen a lot of movies in my day. And I've never seen some shit like that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That movie was nuts. When you can have Genius McGee say, I've never seen some shit like that. Right? I mean, it was equal parts like... I don't want to say the Muppet Show because that's low hanging fruit because mm-hmm. it's not goofy, but it's not levity, it's not let's put on a Muppet Show, and not even Meet the Feebles esque mm-hmm. thing. It's just a Twilight Zone episode of Lynchian proportions where everything is done by puppets. I mean, they're saw esque contraptions. Sid Haig plays a psychopathic serial, uh, uh, a stand up comedian. Like uh, that's great. Uh, Robert England plays a puppet version of like a clean freak body disposal guy. It's it it could be a David Lynch Sesame Street nightmare to me. And I think we even mentioned it a little bit in the Q and A. But it's one of those films that would just plays perfectly 
at Panic Fest. Yeah. This is that kind of movie where you can sit there and go like, wow, what the fuck? Or like, hey, I'm going to invite people over. I'm just going to have in the background. Yep. People are yep. going to be like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> what is draw this, them in. right? And so, no, it's it's definitely one of those ones. I enjoyed it, but it's not going to be everybody's flavor. That's for sure. But at the same time, for those who dig it, mm-hmm. are going to dig it. No, I think are going to dig it. And I think you're going to dig our little bit of a conversation with uh, filmmaker Evan Marlowe. All right, we are back with another Panic Fest Dispatch, and Genius. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, first and foremost, cultivating calm or embracing the panic. Oh, hell yeah. Doing a little bit of both. Cult- now, cultivating the calm, but then fully, fully embracing the panic. Well, there's the good time to kind of uh, embrace the calm, and that is before all the festivities truly hit. And one of the things that we've truly enjoyed, there are times at the Pagan Film Festival, is getting to engage with the artists that are bringing the films to the festival. And, of course, knowing... Especially cool, weird films. And a... Panic Fest, that's kind of the that's bread kind and of butter. The thing. You, you'd hope cool, weird films at Panic Fest. If you usually don't have so, someone in the audience going, what, what the fuck? At Man. least one time, I think then. The, in every the, movie. Yeah. yeah. Every movie has to have its what the fuck moment to qualify for Panic Fest. And from what I've seen. A lot of what the fuck. From what I've heard. A lot of what the fuck. I'm, I'm truly excited, apprehensive, yes. and terrified of this movie we're about to see. Because it does look like it could either launch a thousand phobias. Or a thousand fetishes. And we're lucky enough to have the writer-director here <laughs> of Abruptio. And uh, Evan Marlowe, please, thank you for You're being welcome. here at Panic Film sure. Festival. <laughs> and uh, we're technically getting ready to actually screen it here at Panic Fest. So this is about an hour and a half before the calm of that particular mm-hmm. storm. <laughs> and this is one of those that uh, when Adam and Tim were kind of showing us the lineup, this is one of those from again from the stills mm-hmm. to what we heard of the film was like next level frightening but yes engaging so like nightmare on sesame street yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes. that's exactly it that was so, my intent what was uh, oh, good that was so where how did this particular film idea what where did it come from well i get asked that a lot but it, you know i started writing it about 2015 so that was a long time ago and a lot of stuff's happened since then i wish i could remember what came up with the idea but i just can't even remember somehow i got it in my head that i got to do a puppet movie or you know realistic puppets not the typical stuff we see um and do it in life like realistic settings and um and then make the script somehow put that in context of the script make it meaningful in the script and uh and everything, and then once I got into it, I couldn't get out of it because I, you know we started. The, and then I realized how what a bad idea that was. But I mean, what are you going to do years later into production? You just kind of have to go with it. So, had, had, did you grow up actually like l- enjoying more of the artistry involved with puppets? Where does this come? Because you could shoot anything, but why with puppets? Why, why um, puppets? Yeah, well, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, I grew up on Sesame Street, so that's, that's but that's about where that ends. Um, I just I think you know as somebody that is kind of done with what's mostly out in the cinemas. I just wanted to do some, try to find something that hadn't been done before. And um, this definitely has never been tried before. <laughs> um, and I wanted, and I love noir, and I wanted to make it kind of a noir f- feeling. And I mean, I love horror, and especially 70s horror. And I kind of wanted to do a, a love letter to that genre and um, giallo and things that just, oh. you know, people just aren't really nowadays really into or, or don't don't know about and it's hard to find a lot of those movies um so i kind of was a, a just an appreciation of that so the puppet just kind of went along with the ride with all the other weird things that were in the mix well i love jelly i love puppetry and so when you put those two together 
I'm 100% sold. I'm ready, ready for like um, uh, blackbirds on red felt or something <laughs> like that, you know, something crazy. Um, something we do ask, though, we asked about your puppetry, but something we ask a lot of first-timers on the show, what is your crimeology, horror origin story? What got in you into genre? Because you said you loved like the mysteries and the noir and stuff, and that those kind of go hand in hand with the yeah. thriller horror aspects. Yeah. So About horror? Yeah, yeah, about genre um, and stuff. I think, um, well, I mean, it's been part of me forever. Um, <laughs> my mom accidentally took me to see Alien when it was in the theater. <laughs> there it is. There she it is. She didn't know anything about it, and so she asked, <laughs> and they said, oh, well, it gets kind of sc scary at one point, but I'll come get you out of the theater. But the person never came back and got us, so my, me and my friends were just literally hiding behind um, the chairs, and we, we made it through the whole movie. And, you know, it's one of those things like a roller coaster, it like, terrifies you and never want to do it again, but you have to do it again. So I think, I think that was kind of what unlocked it for me. And then, um, and then I was just had a steady stream of movies that, you should, that a kid shouldn't see, like mm -hmm. Blood Sucking Freaks and I Spit on Your Grave, when I was way too young to be watching any of that. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, like Kubrick and stuff like that. Um, and I don't know how I got access to all those movies as a kid. There were video stores, so I guess I went down to the local video store and got it. Um, it's probably easier now with Netflix and all, well, not Netflix, but Amazon and mm -hmm. things like that to get access to the, those sorts of weird, um, you know, video nasties and things like that. Somehow it just kind of got into my DNA or whatever um, growing up and in the 80s. I mean, I love Spielberg and all that, but that is not what um, motivates me as a filmmaker. I mean, I love E.T. and Raiders of the Lost Ark and all that would really motivated me to make films. But, you know, that doesn't resonate. That's not, that's not who I am, really. It's really more like Cronenberg and Lynch and those, those sorts of movies. So needless to say, you like to get weird. Yeah, I mean, not not for the sake of being weird. Sure. It's just who I am, and I just put that onto film, and it just happens to be stuff probably shouldn't put onto film. <laughs> but honestly, that's the kind of stuff that so many people seek out. And they, gravitate to. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's that yearning for pushing boundaries, uh, almost... Uh, what did you... I, I'm curious then, what did you think of uh, Daddy Cronenberg, David Cronenberg's... Uh, uh, did you see um, the, Crimes oh my God, of Crimes of the Future? Yeah, I mean, that's one of my favorite films of the year. Um, because, it's again, it's who he is. He's not just trying to be weird mm -hmm. or anything. And then it's like, uh, you know, you just have an actor crouch during a scene. I mean, it turns out the actor had bad back problems and crouched because of that. But, you know, uh, another director would have hidden that, but Cronenberg embraced it. I mean, this, this is just, and that's why I think, you know, people like Cronenberg and Lynch are more realistic because life is weird. And life can be very surreal and have unanswered questions and mysteries. And, and that's more realistic than the stuff we see in the cinemas. So I think also part of that is what, what's so meaningful to me. Because surrealism and all that, it, you know, is just more truthful, I think. So do you have any, as, as a filmmaker and artist, do you have any kind of a background in that particular type of art? We just recently watched a couple of films that featured a, the artwork of a Hieronymus Bosch. You know, there's that nightmarish kind of thing. You talked about surrealism. Mm -hmm. uh, do you incorporate a lot of that into your filmmaking? Well, it's in my thinking in general. And it's not just film, but it's, you know, art and um, writing. It's, um, you know, like House of Leaves for, for books. Just people that go outside the box and try to find other ways to get under your skin and, and get a point across. Not Again, not for being weird, but just trying to get their point across and get into your subconscious and make you think about something. Um, and I know people that watch this movie, my movie have been thinking about it for days afterwards, which is what you want. Not just in an intellectual way to think about how they might behave in the situation, but it's just some something about the movie they just you know they can't shake. Um, and I, and that's kind of has always been my goal. 
there are a number of filmmakers that I will go out because I want to experience their movies, but I sometimes don't go back to them mm-hmm. because of that that imprint they leave on me. And mm. I, it's No Way is the number one uh-huh. of those with yeah. cats where I want to yeah. experience, but like I'm never going back yeah. to see a reversible yeah. again. But it was a profound and an effective film like yeah. Antichrist yeah. was another one of those yeah. that had an effect on me. But like, I, I don't think I can go yeah. back and actually actively engage in it again. Yeah. And that's um, so I'd say if anyone asked me. <laughs> And not that anyone has, but I'd say probably my favorite um, person that's worked in horror is Michael Haneke. And even though <laughs> even though he's not a horror director, and probably would never consider himself want to label himself as such or any kind of specific genre, his movies are have been more unsettling and disturbing and horrific than any other filmmakers. Uh, they're not horror films per se, and I but I feel he's truly a horror director. The provocateurs, I, man. I, that I is took cool. a date to see Funny Games. Oh there wasn't a second one. <laughs> <laughs> they probably thought it was a comedy. <laughs> that's where, yeah, the disconnect is. truly had. It actually is a comedy, a dark well, comedy. That's the thing with like even like Crimes of the Future. It was shockingly funny. Like I was sho- so. I'm curious in terms of your film then, incorporating the weird, the puppetry. Do we have some levity in yeah, the film? I think you have to. I don't think you can just make a. I mean, you can. You can make a really dark <laughs> film, and people have done it. And um, Hanek is probably a good example where his films are just so dark and they and bleak. But um, I don't. I mean, with I think with horror to get the message across, you do have to take breaks. I mean, you have to have a rhythm to it, and um, and I think it works better. It just so there is tons of tons of humor in it. Uh, I think it's funny. The stuff that might be horrific again, I think, is still parts of that's funny. So are you telling us, okay, because you in particular has, he has a habit of laughing abruptly at Mm -hmm. probably the most inopportune moments. Yeah. Yeah. And where the other people then start giving the sidelines. And again, you're getting ready to experience this one. So I'm I'm curious to see if you have any moments there. Right. Where people are going, oh my God. I think you will, because we had a cast and crew screening recently with Hannah Mae Lee came. She plays the female lead. And she was one of those people. She was she's seen it before. She was sitting there laughing and stuff that wasn't funny. It wasn't meant to be funny. And I'm like, I kind of get where that's funny, but that's not really funny. <laughs> but she was laughing at it, and I enjoyed that. Well, let's talk about the cast a little yeah, bit because the cast is stacked. I mean, yeah. you got literal horror royalty. Yeah, I know. In this, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so we went out to James Marsters. He's um, uh, from Buffy, uh, and. He's done an amazing. People thought he was British because of his accent was so, so convincing. Good, but yeah. he's, but you know, so whenever they see this movie, they can't believe he's not British. Um, so he, let me get this a little closer. To um, so he um, he did a phenomenal job of his arc is just kind of this guy, and I, I don't like the main character. He's not a protagonist supposed to like, but um, he just starts off as kind of a wishy-washy, wet rag, and then kind of gradually builds and becomes more. gets more of a spine and more accountability towards the end of the movie. And he just evolved really perfectly throughout the movie. Um, we went out to uh, Chris McDonald, who's not part of the horror f- film world. He's he you know he's done some great stuff recently. He's in Hacks. He does an amazing job in that. Um, and uh, and then we you know went out to Jordan Peele, who's got a small part in this movie. He wasn't part of horror either when we went out to him. He he was in. Uh, you know, comedy, but this was just before Get Out came out. It was like months, just a couple months, and we had no one in the that worked with him had any idea what he had in his pocket. Sure. Um, and he's just been doing amazing work since then. And um, and uh, and then we have uh, Sid Hay, who was just a, a great. He just <laughs> endless s- stories about things he's been through, and, it's just, and uh, uh, unfortunately, he passed away. You know, during the production. 
and Robert England, who played uh, Freddy Krueger, and he's also done some great work. I mean, I don't think people realize what a great actor he is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's done a lot of great monologues. He did one in Stranger Things that uh, is just mind blowing, and he does one in our movie too. He's just just a great actor, very diverse. That's it. Well, and when you get to collaborate with these particular people that have left and continue to leave legacies yeah. and are continuing to contribute, there's something wonderful. And especially with filmmakers that are ideally, hopefully challenging them and uh -huh. inspiring them to go beyond what they're normally kind of accustomed to. Yeah. I mean, with any actor, whether it's on set or in the sound booth, I always have some kind of preconceived idea of what I want. But I never tell them what it is. I don't want the actor to kind of to be tainted. And they hopefully have done some studying and research and prepared for the part. And they show up and they, most of the time as a professional actor with this kind of, you know, history, they, they know what to do with the part. And, um, and then I just hopefully have to tweak it a little bit, give them some ideas and stuff like that. But that's the advantage of working with this caliber of actors. You just don't have to do a whole lot of work as a director. <laughs> Work smart, not hard. Right? Yeah. So, um, and then, um, and then the, the advantage again, another reason to do puppets is you can just hold on to the audio tracks and just when you build the puppet, you just go on set and do the part or parts, and then um, and then you wrap, and you don't have to have the act, the actual actor, come back to set over the course of seven years, which you just it's just not realistic, and the person's aging. So, um, so I think that was another motivator to go with puppets. Damn. And so the seven-year journey you've taken at this point, it's in from start to finish now, that's kind of incredible. And just perseverance, getting yeah. through everything to it's, get the film it's, made. It's not, I mean, even in any film, you're doing it in three months, you still have to have a good idea what the movie's gonna be in the final, so that anyone asks you a question, whether it's costumes or music or the actors ask you, you have an idea, you have a good idea of what needs to be done to, to fill in the gaps and create this whole picture. But then to juggle all those pieces over the course of years and years is not easy. I mean, sure. There's got to be continuity and all this stuff, and it just ha and it has to make it has to come together. And we just didn't know if it would, whether this sort of thing would ever um, have legs and be able to, you know, it's sort of like a Frankenstein monster mm -hmm. sort of thing. We just didn't know if it would come to life at the end of it. Uh, I think it has, and audiences are reacting to it, and critics and um, obviously festivals are reacting to it positively, so I think it's working. So there's a lot of, like as you talked about, it's a miracle that any movie gets made. A lot mm. of trials and tribulations. But you've made movies with all human casts. So yeah. have you noticed there's, is there significantly more difficulties or differences when working with puppets? Is there something like, oh, man, if it, I'm glad actors don't do this. <laughs> well, they have, as you'll see in the movie, you have advantages because you can do stuff with a puppet head that you can't do with a human. They, they would be painful. So, uh, <laughs> so we, um, so that's an advantage. Um, the disadvantage you would think theoretically is that you can't get different emotions out of a static face, but we had such a gifted puppeteer that you could in one single shot could go from, from happy to sad, just, I don't know how they did it. This is, well, it's a professional puppeteer, so they know how to do it just with their hand. Um, so you'd be surprised how much expression that this guy was able to get. And the fabricator, the puppet fabricator, Jeff, was able to create faces that seem to have some kind of, you know, inner life, a soul. Uh, it's oh, just, it, and it's, you know, and it's very disconcerting. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's an inanimate object, so you want it to kind of like be sure. real, but it's not. So, um, and it that's that's different for me because when I when I made this movie over the course of years, these are people. You know, I'm not like disturbed by them. He'll mm -hmm. hand me a puppet, and I'll go, okay, that's nice. I'm, you know, might make some tweaks or something, but I'm not like disturbed by the puppet at all. It's just a, like a person, and uh, that's how I treated these puppets, like people on set. So that kind of gives the movie its feel because I'm not treating them like puppets. 
Um, but if you're not used to that world and you see this movie and you see these things in the that's... real world, it's, it's, it doesn't feel right. There's something <laughs> off about it. But I, but unfortunately, I can't get that feeling now because I'm not. I'm just too much into this, and I'm behind the scenes and worked on the footage for years, so I'm just not affected emotionally by these scenes. You've been embraced by the puppet people yeah. at this point. Yeah, so I'm now part of the puppet community. Yes. I love that. <laughs> I love that. So I do really want to wish you a sincere congratulations, though, from everyone here at the Panic Film Festival. And again, Thank to you. be able to experience this with a crowd up on the big screen is going to nice. be a lot of fun. So uh, tell our viewers and listeners, where can they find out more information regarding you and the film? Um, well, the main website is abruptio.com. Um, and I tend to update it as often as I can, but um, the I think the Facebook it's Abruptio Film maybe is the is the page on Facebook, and that's where I really update it more regularly. I'm not really on Twitter. I don't do much Instagram, so Facebook would be the place to find out uh, updates on it. Excellent, excellent. Nice. Well, nice. again, we do appreciate you taking the time to talk with us here. I'm happy um, to be here. Oh no, of course, no, sincerely. Right. And again, more movies uh, to be seen, more memories to maybe to be made, more shenanigans because if we're going to shenan once, uh, we're going to shenan again. Uh, <laughs> oh my god yeah we'll just cut it at that that's a good one okay and we're gonna come back now there's if some people aren't aware uh genius mcgee in addition to being part of this show media rewind mm -hmm. is also the president of the kansas city horror club yes you wear a lot of hats mm -hmm. and it's a darn shame that you are wearing that particular hat at a particular night when a particular movie premiered because you were born and raised in Kansas City, Kansas. I know, I know, and I know. There was a movie that was I shot. Know, I know, I know, I know. Starring with so many people that I was I was having Rick Dalton moments. Napoleon Dynamite's Casey K. <laughs> I wanted to see it so bad. I will just say I you were there in spirit. With Fuck, I probably might have been there in the background for all I know. Well, uh, I was lucky enough to attend the premiere of Kick Me, which was, again, shot here in Kansas City, Kansas. And even as a non-denizen of KCK, I had multiple Rick Dalton moments. Uh, now, I will say the Q&A portion that we had, it's a little hot with the recording, but it should be noted. It's got charm. It's got character. It has a lot of character. It's got as that does KCK. Got that flavor. Got that nine one three to the D I E. It's charming. Is all get out. But it should be noted. The Q and A gets a little bit dark when Santiago kind of goes into his own way. But oh. it, it just adds to it. So uh, hope you enjoyed the little bit the Q and A we did after the uh, premiere of Kick Me. All right, Panic Fest, please welcome back to the stage the co-writer and director of The Madness We Just Experienced, Gary Huggins. <laughs> Eric, play down, Gary, Paul. Thank you, everyone. Um, I want to introduce a few of the people that are here tonight. There's uh, Eric Logan, who played Rotel. Now, excuse me, I gotta, I gotta pack it down here. I see you're carrying a dangerous weapon there, my friend. Yeah, so, cocked and ready. Uh, here's Paul Pat. Pat. Woo! Here's Tammy. Woo! Give him a round. Yes. And Jeff uh, Freeman, who did the amazing score. Yeah. 
Adam Jeffers, who did the graphic design. Patrick Brennan, who did just about everything. And last but not least, Mr. Santiago Vasquez. Yeah! Also, Pat Turnbull there, who did the incredible makeup effects. So first and foremost, a sincere congratulations from all of us Thank at the Panic Film Festival, knowing, you know, the blood, sweat, and tears it goes into making and a film, <laughs> and other, other bodily fluids, as we definitely got soaked in in this movie here. Uh, I, well, I'm curious, you mentioned this has been a 10-year-plus journey, so I'm curious, what was the seed that started this entire journey? Um, the seed was just uh, imagining the before and after of Santiago and his face smiling and then bloody, and then making a movie around that. That was pretty much it. I got bits and pieces of kind of like Scorsese's After Hours, but in Kansas City, Kansas. Yeah, that's it. That's pretty much it. It was very much inspired by After Hours. Um, which seems to me in its own way, a very regional, parochial sort of movie. It's all about the fear that New Yorkers feel when they go into those neighborhoods. And uh, I wanted to mythologize and aggrandize KCK in the same way that people do with LA and New York. And so I got it, I'm curious, because I've, I've been around the dot a few times, but I don't know if I've ever seen a super swinging uh, RV couple rolling around, and maybe, I'm not going to the right places, apparently, so is there some place that we can do, like, the KCK Kick Me Walking Tour, potentially? That, I hope, happens one day. Uh, I think this is a great tourism tool for Kansas City, Kansas. <laughs> I think that could definitely exist. Um, Santiago can tell you all about the three-legged dogs. <laughs> They're real. Well, first of all, I want to thank everybody that was here. Everybody that is here, everybody that contributed is single penny to make uh, this movie possible. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm so great. And uh, to everyone that night after night showed up and busted his or her ass to make it possible. And um, I know Kansas City, Kansas is an amazing place. Um, I'm originally from Venezuela, South America. And I always tell everybody that uh, prior to coming to the United States, I truly and honestly thought that I was going to encounter the most civilized people in the world. <laughs> and uh, like, like uh, a dear friend of mine says to me all the time, fool, you had me fool. <laughs> and he's sitting in the audience, so anyhow. So, uh, and... Uh, I'm a retired uh, police officer with the Kansas City, Kansas Police Department. Spent uh, 27 years of my life there. I never killed anybody, never shot anybody, by the way. However, however, how many times were you seen on the streets of KCK in just a jump strap? Uh, many times. There we go. That's many, many times. So uh, the three-legged dogs. True story. The wild packs of dogs of KCK. True story. Made national news. It was on the pitch, by the way. And uh, if you pay attention to um, the uh, Santeria portion of the film, when I go into 
to get it glistening, whatever, however I got there, I don't even remember. <laughs> uh, you see the patron saint of all the drug traffickers in the background, that's Jesus Malverde. Next to me is the Holy Death or La Santa Muerte. And uh, in the background, barely you see also uh, El Santo Niño de Atocha or the the Atocha Baby Jesus, that's what I call it, Mexican Baby Jesus. And, uh, and you also see uh, St. Judas, and uh, those are symbolisms of the, uh, the narco traffickers. And uh, I also spent nearly uh, a decade of my life investigating, uh, doing major cases with uh, my dearest friend back there. And uh, it was a learning process because I was very naive when I came into the police department. I, I told my friend, I thought that I was going to be working with professionals. <laughs> and he's, he looked at me and said, shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's true. And um, they told him, uh, the lieutenant, he was a devout Mormon. He wore a wig, a hairpiece. <laughs> and uh, he told my buddy, who I hated in the beginning. You are going to be working with a guy who is a polyglot. You don't know what a polyglot is, please let me know. Somebody who speaks multiple languages. He speaks eight languages. Japanese, French, Italian. And my body looked at him and said, I don't give a fuck. Does he speak street? <laughs> and... Uh, then I did stuff that I would never imagine that I was going to do in my life. So, and then I end up going into the public library looking for the very first movie that Akira Kurosawa made. It was about judo. I'm a martial artist. That little dojo that you saw at my place. And I met this man and uh, I was blown away by what I saw there. All these crazy movies, bacterian. <laughs> films I grew up watching, nothing but international films, and I wanted to know who was responsible for this anomaly in Kansas City, Kansas. And I said, I want to meet this man. Long hair, beard. He was undercover at the time. <laughs> Seriously. And uh, I introduced myself as Carlos Ernesto Guevara. Carlos Antonio Guevara, I'm sorry. Uh, Carlos for Ilichi Ramirez Sanchez, a.k.a. The Jackal. If you don't know who that is, let me know. And, of course, uh, uh, Guevara was for Che Guevara. And um, I pay tribute to Tony Armas, a.k.a. Antonio Armas from Venezuela, the slugger, baseball slugger from the 1980s. Let's take some questions. That's it. Yeah, and I do, I really want to also give a shout out to everyone up here. Number one, I haven't seen feces fermented in such a way to actually instill the huffing of that. And again, I don't know if that Not is something. the classic era of Hollywood, have you seen feces fermented in such a way? <laughs> but yeah, but uh, amongst the other things, I have to give a lot of props to that incredible animal acting, that dog acting of that three-legged little chihuahua, that is incredible. 
This like, is uh, this was the uh, one of the parents of Trio oh, Ross. Yes, and actually uh, Ross uh, put out a coloring book about Trio's life called Trio: A Dog's Tale. Is that right? You can get it on Amazon. And I don't know if any of you saw the movie Prey from last year that had an amazing dog performance. I'm telling you, this is actually competing with that. I was so, and also, I don't know if any of you all caught the transition we did from one of the dog's butthole to the moon. Did anyone catch that transition? Thank you, Julie. Yeah, yeah, okay, yes. Point that out. Congratulations. Well, no, I couldn't help it. It was right there in the middle. I was transfixed by everything. I'm like, hey, I see what you did there. Now, what I'm also curious is, I want to make sure everyone is involved here. Have you ever been involved, and in, it's all in the hand acting with a lot of that. What kind of direction did Gary give you on that? Not a whole lot. I just, well, at first we were going to use a baseball bat, then he goes, we're just going to use your hand as a gun. <laughs> so that's, that's all I did. I, someone reminded me that actually he was supposed to have a gun, and then we didn't have the prop, so he was using his finger, and that just was way better than any gun so we ended up just going with that so plus the money you save from gun to flamethrower so is kind of incredible yeah. it's kind of incredible uh that's technically our cutoff i would like to try to get at least one or two questions from the audience out there right there in the middle can you repeat that Craig? Uh, had a question about editing your style and where did it come from is it something that you've developed over the years uh yeah just uh did it myself i make three shorts before this and it kind of uh, grew out of those um, also grew out of like having so much footage. This was a, 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 a originally a much bigger epic. Uh, it could have been two and a half hours long, and it was a lot of it was just involved in like slicing and dicing that down into something manageable. Perfect. And again, if you would like to ask more questions, we will be meeting out in the, the lobby. We do got to make sure we get out for the next uh, movie that's coming up. But please, again, for all the cast and crew involved. Give a hearty panic fest. Congratulations to everyone involved with Dickman. Also, please vote for the film. If yes. you like it, please vote. Go to uh, Panic Fest social media and uh, give it a thumbs up. It matters. And we're looking for U.S. distribution, and that could actually help and put us over the top. So thank you so much for coming. Sincerely, thank you all sincerely so much. That's how we do it in the dot. Fuck yeah, KCK. Represent on the big screen. I gotta make sure that you get to see a screener of this one. I gotta one. see it. I gotta yeah. see it. I wanna see it. Now, you said you said there's a lot of like three-legged dog awesomeness. There's some incredible thing-esque dog acting going on in that movie. Like no joke. Great human acting, but some phenomenal dog acting. With man. three legs, multiple three-legged dogs. Nice. It's great. It's great. Now, another thing that is great is when we get a chance. I like those dogs. To meet filmmakers mm-hmm. that are at the Panic Film Festival for the first time. Yes. And they're featuring in... Welcome. What is arguably what the Panic Film Festival is built upon are the shorts. Mm-hmm. And we had the chance to talk, uh, in this case, this is with Nichiman and her short. Now, I might, I may have killed the last name, but it's um, Lysmoth. 
Leche Moth, I believe. Le- Leche Moth? Yes, Leche Moth. And it played like gangbusters. And there are always those shorts and those features that have good word of mouth through the, through the film fest. And that short was one of those mm-hmm. that just instantly drew people to it. And we were well, lucky. It's metal. It's, it, it, fuck yeah, it's metal. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, since Genius is a social person and our good networker, uh, we were lucky enough to actually have a nice conversation with Carla. So, yeah, really. And we're going to hear more from Carla, too. Chopping mall-esque. <laughs> Yo, God, that's right. That's right. Yeah, this is not the first nor probably the last time year. And also, technically, member of the film family now mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Carla, we love you, and we loved this conversation we had with you regarding your shortened experience at the Panic Film Festival. All right, welcome back to another Panic Fest Dispatch. And as we have talked Many times they're genius. Puppas and pattas. <laughs> it's the pata players. Uh-huh. It's all, Panic Fest is all about making memories, but it's also about establishing relationships mm-hmm. and also giving opportunities for filmmakers, especially first-time filmmakers. Up-and-coming filmmakers. A chance to be able to see their work on the big screen. With a like-minded, ravenous crowd. And I've, I've, I've heard there is no better feeling, and thankfully, uh, we get to hear about that feeling from... A first-time Panic Fest um, player, as it is, yes. uh, just actually directed her first short. Uh, please welcome to the Panic Film Festival and Nightmare Junket, Carla Nickelman. Yes, hello. Thank hello. You. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, before we get started, yes. where can we find more information about you and your short on the interwebs? Well, I just got back on Instagram. Um, I'm Fried Carla Mari. Uh, <laughs> and, you know... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh-huh. Everyone told me to like make a separate Instagram for the film, and you know, I just, I just, I'm not that person. I just can't. I can't. I'm not a pusher, you know. So it, I just can't do it. I've I've heard many things about putting your short, but being a pusher is kind of one of those things they say you have to, and it's tough to do, is it not? Yeah. No. Yeah. It's it's extremely hard, and I just I don't want to go that route. I want to just find find it find the success a, a different way, and not have to, you know, push the the socials um because i'm just not good at it um so but you know if i make a connection with someone i can send them the link and and try and pitch them i mean i'm not the greatest at articulating my pitch but you know that's what i can tell them about so speaking of pitch what's the name of the movie and give us a quick pitch rundown yeah uh well the short is called lachimuth um and it's about a girl who inhales a dead man's ashes at a metal show Followed by her descent into a carnal psychosis. <laughs> carnal reawakening. <laughs> nice. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Holy smoke. Okay. That's so- Junkhead approved. <laughs> yeah, that's very much fact. That's almost Junkhead like distilled. A combination of right? a number Metal of things. Metal and debauchery. That's, yeah. So curious then uh, yeah. in terms of. They often say shoot with what you know or you know shoot with what you have. So was there a particular Did you enjoy the metal? Story? Yeah, was there a particular reason you leaned you, into this? Did you inhale somebody's dead ashes at a metal show? <laughs> Actually, I did. Oh shit. Okay. Let's hear it. <laughs> please tell, please yeah, tell. Yeah, I don't want to say it's like this is an an autobiography. Um but uh back I'm from Chicago and I this is how introverted and weird I am. But um I had I don't have a lot of friends and I I love metal. Metal, but I never felt like I felt uh, fit in to mm-hmm. the metal crowd. 
and I was like, huh, I go to these shows and I just like stand there like an idiot. And I was like, I got to do something. And so I was like, I, this is really like Nathan Fielder of me, but I created a fake music blog website and I emailed like managers and stuff to get photo passes. And I'm like, I'm this music site and give me a photo pass so I could take photos. Cause I mean, I can press a button and take photos. I had a DSLR, so I was like, I could do this. <laughs> um, and it worked. And I got like photo passes to all these like metal shows. And I just went and I had something to do. And I got to enjoy shows without having to like stand in the back and just, you know, whatever. So I was in Chicago and I um, got a photo pass for the metal band Behemoth. I have heard of and, them. Uh, um, it was a pretty big show, and I was in the photo pit with like these other photographers. And one, I think it was a photographer from their crew, and he spoke like Polish, I think, because they're from Poland. Mm -hmm. And he said something to me, and he laughed, and it was super like sadistic. And I was like, "What is about to happen?" He was like, "Watch something about like like stand back or something," and but I didn't, and. Um, the lead singer started waving this stuff oh, no. like in my face. And I was like, oh, this is part of their gimmick because they're very gimmicky. Sure. They're like the behemoth is like the like <laughs> gods of the gods of the gimmicks. Um, and so I was like, this is smoke, right? Like this is, you know, Atma, whatever. And um, I inhaled it for sure and uh the next day my sister who was also actually she was at the show and i told her about it i was like did you see him waving something and i was like that was so weird and then the, the next day she um she sent me a text and it was a a news article about how behemoth had scattered this late man's <gasps> ashes in the into the crowd and there was like Oh my a God. photo of him doing it and me just like this in the in the in the pit and then that just kind of sparked i was like i've got to do something about this because not only am i gonna vomit right now but this is just like the craziest thing that's ever happened to me and i yeah and i just went with it and what what really stuck with me was like i wanted to know about the the guy who died yeah. mm -hmm. you know and it was like this young guy who died of cancer and wanted his ashes that's, sorry, sorry. No, that, I mean, no, scattered, no, yeah. no, yeah. That's like a pretty. And, this is and so that's pretty metal. That was yeah. that, that's pretty was, fucking oh, metal. It was so metal, and <laughs> that was what intrigued me the most. I was like, you know, just about his story mm -hmm. and how now I'm a part of him in a way. Vibed a bit right. of him, yes. Yeah, and then you know, and then I brought in for you know, so I just kind of adapted that that little story into um, the film. Nice. As so, like just like a, you know, cool inciting incident. Yeah. So from metal to movie making, then what uh, what filmmakers are you into? What genre do you lean heavy Ooh, into? Well, um, you know, and we've talked talked about a lot of eighties horror today yes, in our yes. trivia. But I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely more into like I love Guillermo del Toro. Um, but one of my favorite favorite movies is Possession. Um, Oh no, is that a, not a good uh, I adore possession. <laughs> Genius. He I appreciate it. I appreciate oh. it, but on a different level. Mm -hmm. I <laughs> when I say this, say people are like I can see it, or people are like, boo this man. <laughs> it's camp to me. Really? It's high okay. camp. I see it in the same way I would see a John Waters film. Okay. 
because it's just so over the top. Yeah. And there's a lot yeah. of octopus oh, fucking sure. um, and like yeah, a lot of squiddly yeah. diddly and all yeah, that shit. It has so, like some Lovecraftian vibes. And in so it, and... it makes me giggle and laugh. And I, I sit there like having a good time laughing and smiling and j- while other people are like, this is hard. This is heavy. And I'm <laughs> well, over there like, ha! <laughs> What age did you, when did you see it? Two years ago. Okay, because I saw it in high school. So that hit me hard, you know, when it was like before it became cool. Yeah. Before they started making pins. I was going to say, it's unreal how that happens. um, So like that's like the the movies I watched when I was four, they say when you listen to music at 14, that's what sticks with you. Yes. The movies I watched at 14, 15 stuck with me. And that was Pan's Labyrinth and Possession. Wow. (laughs) And like those, so I always loved those types yes. of movies and i love allegories and metaphorical mm-hmm. you know things that i that's what i love to put in my movie and writing yeah, yeah. Well, that's one of the things i think we always genuinely enjoy about just genre in general how it can deal with a number of things mm-hmm. be it processing trauma grief depression but then you can also put it through this fantasy filter and this yes, horror filter exactly yeah and it just makes it so again some people can just go oh yeah this is a whole like pan's labyrinth it's a yes. terrifying film but 100 percent a dark fairy tale oh my yes. morality issue yeah. yeah and you know with my short a lot of people were like was she possessed or what happened and it's actually more of the fantasy romantic you know way that i wanted it to end um but yeah so that's i like the fantasy and yeah, fantasy romance and um, mm-hmm. more of that. With metal. With, With metal, metal, yeah. Always, metal. I've always got to put some metal into it. Um, yeah. So having now put together your first, uh, with, the, with the short, do you now have the bug where you're starting to like, what's the next thing, you know, I'm going to put together? Well, or? I have the feature written. That's, I'm ready to go. Holy, like, oh, I want to make this, I have, to, it's going to be a, a feature. There yeah. you go. Nice. Um, so I just need to figure that figure that well, out. You're in the right place, ready. though. That's you're in it. the oh right God. place. Panic Fest has a wonderful track record of yes. of um, first time features shorts or first time shorts going on to yeah. be features. Yeah, so, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, doing the short. I mean, it was. I, I don't know if I Dude. would do another short. It was very difficult. I was gonna say, how much do you think you learned throughout shooting the short? A lot. I mean, I've worked. So I work in TV and film. Um, so I've worked. Uh, over 10 years in TV and film. So I pulled a lot of favors mm-hmm. and and I have <laughs> a lot of friends and it was a very like, um, you know, family thing and uh, just used a lot of my connections um, to do it. But um, yeah, I, d- I don't know if I would, I, I want this. I just, now I'm ready to just yep. do the feature. Yeah. <laughs> um, I so want to do it. It's, I want to tell the story. Yeah. 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 That's cool. That's perfect. Yeah. So, but a sincere congratulations, though, on the short plane within Panic Fest. Yeah. I understand this is your first first Panic Fest. Yeah, this Fest? is my first, um, yeah, film festival. Nice. Yeah, so it's been incredible. I mean, you guys are like everybody here is so welcoming. You know, I first day, of course, the, there's a little bit of imposter syndrome. I'm like, everyone's here with their features, and you sure. know, I feel. But you guys have made me feel special. No, and it's because I think we're we're lucky enough to see what goes into the making of that. Mm-hmm. All the the blood, sweat, and tears, and sometimes it's just a minor miracle. So when it does happen, it does get shown, it does get experienced, and and people see it and love it. And yeah. yeah, how yeah. was it like? Yeah, what tell was tell it? us what it was like sitting there in a crowd, seeing for the first time ever, seeing a movie that you put a lot of hard, a lot of hard work into it, and just with an appreciative crowd. Yeah. Um. 
I, you know, and I came here solo, um, and <laughs> the theater was packed. Mm-hmm. I might have recruited like two people, <laughs> you know, guilt trip them into coming uh, to the theater, but um, it was packed. And getting even, I got one good laugh. Like it was one good, like a really good punch. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, Jill was there and she loved that like line and she told me about it later. So like that was validation for me. Um, and also closing out the short block was cool because just everyone kind of remembered it off the top of their heads. Oh, yeah. So then recency bias, so, baby. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that was nice. Um, but that was a surreal experience just to see people that I don't know appreciate my voice. Cause mm. that's me, you know, that's yeah. my voice. That's, you know, what I've created. And so, um, it's, it is a special feeling and, but it's, it's, it reminded me that that's what I, that's what I have to do. This is mm. what I this is my only option in life. Well, I'm and I'm glad you're already uh, networking and collaborating with one Jill Gavargazian, who is yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a good she is one that stylist. had her short, yeah, yes. and then became yeah. a feature. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, that, that means a lot to see my peers and yeah. people that I respect um, enjoy what I'm doing. Well, and it's funny because Jill is a fellow introvert, and I know she has gone beyond her comfort zone to networking in her middle with a lot of people. So it yes. can be done. Yeah. It yeah. can be done. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But no, I know we actually have some shorts we're going to go to ourselves. So sincerely, Carla, congratulations. Thank you. No, and uh, we hope to see the feature play at Panic Fest one oh, day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Uh, of course, uh, many more movies to be seen, many more memories to be made. We'll be back with another Panic Fest dispatch. Do, 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 and do. Look at that. Yay. Too much metal, man. Too much metal for one hand. Fuck yeah. Fucking awesome. Fucking rad. Now, again, expanding and being introduced and meeting a lot of the filmmakers here is so much fun because we know all the stuff that goes into making a movie work, uh, the miracle that it is to get up there. And so, again, Mm -hmm. to be able to experience it with them, with a crowd, is wonderful. And I had the opportunity to sit in with filmmakers Scott Lias and Chris Niles for their film, Walking Against the Rain. And let me just say, it's one of those that is a perfect Panic Fest film because it's very much a kind of slow burn character piece Mm -hmm. based in a dystopian setting with monsters on the periphery that has a giant payoff in the end. Okay. And you might have to turn up the uh, volume on this one a little bit more, but the anecdote they have with their connection with the latest Mission Impossible films, mm-hmm. make not only listening to this conversation worth it, but definitely to seek out this particular film. So again, uh, talking with Scott Lias and Chris Niles of Walking Against the Rain. Yes, okay, there we go. So uh, please welcome back uh, from Walking Against the Rain, writer-director Scott Lias and producer Chris Niles. We're all limited by uh, the size of our cords here. Uh, let's see here. Squeeze in. You guys are center stage. You guys are center stage. We're here for you all. So I, I think only at Panic Fest can you experience a film that is dystopian in nature, character-based, but has the protagonist just killing the shit out of the creature, lethal weapon style. So, bravo. 
Bravo <laughs> on that side. Uh, also, uh, every from everyone here at the Panic Film Festival, congratulations uh, to this movie. Uh, getting to experience it with a crowd is incredible, and just knowing the blood, sweat, and tears that go into making a movie, our sincerest congratulations on that. Be kidding! Thank you for having us. I mean, yeah, thank you. This is uh, we we came to Panic Fest three years ago with our last short, and. Ever since then, we were like, well, if we're going to play anywhere with the features, like, it's got to be here. So, so that, yeah. Thank you for having us. Yeah. No, of course. And that's actually what I wanted to start with is where did you two start to collaborate and work together? Well, we're from a, uh, from a kind of a small UK backwater town called Harlow, um, which is probably the worst town in the entire country. And um, <laughs> when, uh, so when, when, I, when I moved to London, I never knew Scott when, uh, when, when I lived there, but um yeah, we, we we kind of met through some work we both do in sort of independent film in London. And uh, Scott sent me one of his um, first shorts. And, you know, I, it was w one of those points where I was like, okay, I'll, I'd like to watch this. And then I saw it on, and it wasn't MySpace, but something like a profile. Oh, okay, we're dating like, yourself. We're dating yeah, ourselves. Yeah, we're, we're, we're aging. And it was always from Harlow. It's like, oh, okay, I'll give this a watch. This, this would be fine. And then, yeah, we, we just... I mean, this was what ten years ago now, probably more than that. And yeah, and then we developed a few shorts together, and um, this was yeah, this is like seven, eight years in the making, I think. In, yeah, in total. Probably. And um, yeah. yeah, really proud to get it here, and um, really proud to like, show you guys. And thanks for coming to see like two dogs from England. You know, what we kind of produced out because yeah, it's it's just amazing to be here and amazing to have it here. Yeah, thank you. No, of course, no, thank you because it's and they often say you're supposed to like write what you know and shoot with what you have. And I don't know if it's the baggage I brought with this film, but all the conversations that carried throughout this film, I mean, they, for me, were dripping with regret, but perseverance and this whole idea of making memories through experience and that yeah. ending. It's just, again, I don't know if it's maybe my journey through the past three years, but I'm curious, how did this film come, come together then? So that's the way, that's the really strange fucking thing about this. So like Chris said, we were here... February 2020, I think, was when you originally was running the festival. Oh, yes, we remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And when we... So we had someone that was going to fund it for basically four times what we got. Um, we were due to it the summer of 2020. And we left here, went to LA, had a meeting, went back home. The world shut down. So we lost that investor. We lost everything. We... And then it got to the point where it's like, we had made a few shorts. We were very lucky to be quite successful with those shorts. And, you know, the, the question we all get is, when's the feature? When's the feature? When's the feature? <laughs> and every conversation I had with every decent production company, every decent distributor was, yeah, this is cool, but we don't know if you can make a, uh, a feature. Made some shorts, we don't know if you can make a feature. So eventually it just kind of thing, well, I went to Chris and said, fuck it, let's do it for whatever we can get. And let's try and make it as big as possible. Let's just prove we can do it. And then the weird thing we've found is by persevering and making it, and then the pandemic happened, so many more people now relate to it. And it's like this weird thing where we also have also kind of had some bad reviews where people think it's just a film about a pandemic and people are like, oh, you've just made this. because, And it's like, no, we haven't. But then, you know, the flip side of that and what we try to focus on is people are like, oh no fuck like i kind of now understand the connection thing and the human connection thing and the isolation thing and stuff like that and that's something we never could have planned for that weirdly the pandemic helped us with. yeah that's just it and that's the thing i think i think a lot of us carried with it that just overfit the, the sense of dread 
yeah just throughout that it was unreal but i will say this i love the fact that you have such a lack of ones and zeros in your movie and there are some expansive landscaping shots yeah. tell me about shooting out in the real world so so first off we got super fucking lucky so like within the contingency plan for the whole film was like so we shot reese first for seven days then shot Sophia for seven days, and then on the eighth day with her, we brought Reese back and done the end scene. That is the very, very final scene we've done. So there was this contingency plan of, well, what if the fucking weather completely changes for both of them? <laughs> now, what's weird is like, it, so in the Lake District where we shot it in the UK, the weather is literally like it could be raining over there, and you can see it raining, and it can be really sunny here. But getting the rest of the world to understand that's the way it works in the Lake District is, you know. But we just got super fucking lucky. But going back to like, you know, why we done it and why we shot it there is that comes down to what I said when I introed it was how big can we make this? Mm -hmm. And how if we can get these locations and get them within budget, well, let's shoot it on Amorphic. Let's like make this work. Let's make this. And everything we shot is like private estates. So within the Lake District, people out there, one of the words or one of the phrases they use for themselves is they're very cash poor, but they're land rich. <laughs> they have a fuckload of land, but they can't afford to do anything honestly. So, you know, it, we go in and offer them a tiny bit of money, but to them, that's fucking loads. And it's great for us because there's no one on this land. And then you get those, like, great shots with, like, Sophia down by the car and stuff like that, where we, you know, put this lens on it where you see for miles, and there's just no one there. And it, it was absolutely perfect for us. And really sold what we wanted to do. Yeah, there was there was there was real limitations that we could have. So as, as Scott said, we had kind of zero plans for contingency, and that was that was best spelled out on. Uh, so like you said, we brought Reese and Sophia together for the last day. We shot that last day um, at one of the biggest private lakes in the Lake District, and uh, I'm going to tell the story. <laughs> and uh, so day day zero, I signed the NDA. But so day zero, so the day before, obviously, we were getting there. So we've all driven up. We're staying in this absolute shithole on the side of a motorway, which was our base for three weeks. Right. We get a phone call from this very sort of suspicious person, basically sort of saying, well, um, so you know where you're filming your last day in this shack? It's like, yes, well, we've bought the entire estate around it for, how long was it? Four weeks? Four, four and a half weeks. Yeah. And um, it was essentially a case of just like, look, we need your space. How much can we buy you out for? was like, well, probably nothing because it's our last day of filming. It's going to cost at least sort of seventy-five thousand pounds to get everybody back there. It's like, well, come in for a meeting. It's like, well, who are you? And they wouldn't say. So we've had to sort of drive up and we get there, and all of a sudden they, we pull into this is called Project Scorpio. Yes, which, which Project Scorpio? Project Scorpio. It's so, all their games. That's all their games. So, so we we get in the car. We get in the car. We drive up there and we turn up to where we know we're going to be filming, and you can see these, you know, kind of cabins start coming up and. We finally meet, you know, Mr. You know, Project Scorpio himself. It's got Mr. Mr. Scorpio. Mr. Scorpio, yeah. If it was only Hank Scorpio, it would be even better. Oh. But yeah, we, we, kind of, we, we kind of get in there and he's like, right, okay, so this is the situation. We're shooting here. It's quite a major production. You're in the way, so please leave. And as we said, it's like, well, we can't. It's like, we really can't. And essentially what happened, it boiled down. They were shooting a lot of scenes for the new Mission Impossible movie. So we're, we're kind of in there. Yeah, and it, but it was, there was helicopters sort of flying over. And I said, as a joke, I was like, oh, so is that Tom in the helicopter jumping in? I was like, yeah. <laughs> so, so we're kind of watching this kind of happen. And we've obviously got a guy in a monster suit. 
And in in the Lake District, you know, it, it's it, it's mostly private, but we have these things called three ways where you have to keep them open to the public. So the day we actually go down and film, we kind of get there, and obviously news travels fast. So everybody locally wow. knew that Mission Impossible was filming there. They're all on the lookout for Tom Cruise. We turn up on our day. Oh we, we're in our little house, kind of getting everyone ready. This is public, and our guy in this monster suit kind of walks out. And the next thing we hear is like this public guy, oh my God, there's this like, monster to the new Mission Impossible movie. This is like, insane. <laughs> and we're kind of standing there, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so weird. And yeah, it was, um, yeah. So in terms of like that kind of weird contingency, it was like, we didn't have anything. It's like, you couldn't kind of pay us to kind of leave because... We, we couldn't genuinely come back and actually do anything else. So, yeah, it was, it was a, yeah, it was, it was quite, because that's what we, like, we took everyone to the lake. So, like, it's all like an inclusive price. So, like, yeah. if you're up there for, you know, what the amount of time we were up there, it's like, we're paid for it and we're good and it didn't cost us that much money. But to send everyone back to London and to, like, hire everything again, well, that's the cost all over. It doesn't matter. It's just for one desk. Yeah. So we're like, there's no fucking way. So we worked it out and we got it done. And so that last scene, we're literally, our takes are in between Tom Cruise jumping out of the helicopter. And then, he ruined our best take, by the way. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then when, so at the end, when obviously, you know, the big fucking monster rises, we just got this perfect like storm where like there was wind and everything like that. And I was like, oh fuck, like, let's get it now because it's going to look incredible with the, you know, it's going to be brilliant. And then as we're fucking doing it, all of a sudden, sound guy goes, Hold on, what the fuck's... No, hold on, hold on, what the fuck is that? And then all of a sudden we turn around and there's this fucking helicopter coming straight fucking to us. And it goes on the front of the lake. You know where they stand on? It goes on the front of the lake, turns around, kicking us with water, by the way. Kicking us with a fucking lake water. Look up, Tom Cruise going, all right. And we're just like, what the fuck? And then just pulls off. <laughs> and then just fucking pulls off. A drive-by waving. Yeah, a drive-by drive waving. Wave. My God. So you realize when Mission Impossible goes to space, you all should be collecting some royalties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. The funny thing yeah. is, is that if you watch the, the new Mission Impossible trailer, there's this shot of greenery with this really horrendous CGI cloud they've mm. baked in. The reason that cloud exists is because underneath that, there's us it's shooting, walking against, shooting walking against Oh, my God. It's nuts. <laughs> That in of itself, I think, makes this production worth it. But no, sincerely, we do have to cut this short. Yeah, thank so you guys for coming out. No, thank, thank you, you for coming. Really really we love you guys. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for coming and watching. Thank you. Film so much. Yeah. Yeah. Give, it, give them a round of applause. Chris and Scott, you guys, that was. Thank you. So I'm not saying that uh, you have to test yourself for Scientology or anything like that to listen but, to our but show. But it would help. It might help. It might help. <laughs> help me, baby Xenon. <laughs> now, our last uh, dispatch that we have here, and the reason I put it last is one of the beautiful things with this show, with the festival, is meeting people, establishing relationships, and then getting to see them grow over the course of many festivals. And I'll be honest, man. When I'm around John Pata, I feel better. Yeah. And more importantly... I feel like I should become a better person. He makes me want to be better. Well, everybody in the Pata stable is fucking rad. The Pata players? The Pata players between, I mean, like, hey, Frankie. Between, like, working with Jill and Robert and Sarah and Cato and yep. David and everybody. I mean, and then the people that they're bringing in and the new Pata players and then the new, um, for the Pata party. It's <laughs> just, 
everybody he surrounds when you surround when you radiate good and surround yourself with good it's noticeable yeah. and i think that's what happens he's such a good person and he only is selective and hangs out with good people and we use the term film family a lot but he has really truly established his film family uh, and this was a blast so please uh, enjoy this conversation with uh, most of the folks or some of the folk from black mold all right, welcome back to another Panic Fest Dispatch. And genius, over the years uh, that we've been lucky enough to uh, participate here in the Panic Film Festival, uh, we've seen it grow, and we've seen uh, a number of relationships kind of foster from the very act of collaboration uh-huh. and people knowing people, finding your film family. And one of the beauties then is seeing people continue to grow in front of you. From seeing them and just get cooler and cooler and cooler and do bigger and better and and neater things. It's we don't say this with hyperbole, but it's the same thing that we'll we usually tell Jill. We are so happy for you and we are so proud. And seeing you guys grow as entertainers, actors, directors, writers, that is one cool thing about Panic Fest, just fostering those relationships and seeing them enhance and become more over the years. It's unreal, and yeah. we're lucky enough to actually have some people that we've been over, some over a few years, some just a f- over a just year. a couple yeah. Two yeah. years, yeah, two, two years now, yeah. and some just starting, which is even better. Uh, but please welcome to Panic uh, Panic Fest and Nightmare Junkhead from Black Mold. We have writer director John Pata, we have one of the stars Kato AC, and we do have behind the scenes photographer David Burke. We'll we'll get to you, Dave. Don't worry. He's behind the scenes right now. He's BTS. Well, he's <laughs> shooting BTS, BTS. I'm a little upset not seeing photo in hand. Like a, a Technically, there is a camera. No, he, I already saw him camera. taking photos. Oh, okay. He's oh, already right, doing right. it. It's very Because when funny. you're eventually putting together, you know, the black mold Blu-ray, you're yep. going to need that kind of stuff. Yep. I'm just saying. I'm just yep, saying. you're right. You got the mirrorless on you? Because we can't have that audio. If you, okay. All right. <laughs> if you ever need fan commentaries, let us know. <laughs> but no, sincerely, man. And it's been one of our true joys, like genuinely, to see everything. Everyone continue to grow, and again, from shorts to editing to first assisting AD at my house that one night. Oh yeah! To writing and directing, the journey you all have been taking is incredible. I, I love seeing everyone involved with yeah, it. Yeah, I remember seeing Pity at Slaughter mm. and thinking like, "Wow, this short was really fucking good." And then having Jill like, "Yeah, that was John Pat. He's awesome." And I'm like. Cool, and then finally meeting you, and then the post-apocalyptic my dinner with Andre. <laughs> That's right, which that was, was wonderful. That. that we actually wound up like a couple of months later, like we, when it came to Shutter, we're like, we got to talk about that oh, movie. Man. So yeah, yeah. That was so fun. No, this is awesome to actually sit down and talk to you guys again. It's yeah. always like a blast because you guys are actually like super, super genuine and a hundred percent cool. Well, when I introduced the film yesterday, now when we had our mm-hmm. world premiere. You know, I said it and it wasn't hyperbole that like Kansas City and Panic Fest and Screenland and everyone affiliated with this horror community has been way too kind and good to us over these years. And for those that don't come to Kansas City, I mean, this is something truly special. What you all have put together and curated and just like enabled in this community at this theater. And the two of you play such a big part of that. And I mean, it's 
it is truly yes. a wonderful, beautiful place. It's it's very special, and it makes it super easy for us to like be like, yes, we want to sit down and talk to you about these cool yeah, things. Yeah, exactly. And for yes. us to actually bring you back behind the scenes into a place with this couch, you know. Hey, you want to come in the back and record some shit with us? Apparently, we're gonna. I mean, you know, I'm pretty easy. So, like, let's be real. Let's be real. Fostered a good relationship at this point. So, I mean, I've been in your basement, Craig. Well, yeah, and. True story. Jill, the first time she went to that basement, had her camera out and was filming it. I think as a joke, one part, but another part, like this is, is kind of creepy. Because she made me sing the tales from the crypt song as she was filming yes. down. Yes, yeah. I literally purchased my house because I have an Evil Dead esque basement. It's very true. Oh, it's great. Very, very oh, yes. true. It's oh, part fun. of that. It's part of that. Now, I'm curious here. <laughs> yeah. How did you all actually get together and start collaborating? Is this like a first time, or is this like many years in the making? So. Kato was the lead in Revealer, which mm-hmm. played Panic Fest 2022 mm-hmm. out on Shutter. Now I was a post-production supervisor on that, but I wasn't around for production because it shot. We shot right? in the peak of the pandemic, mm-hmm. if yeah. you remember correctly, for those falling at home. And I came on, and you know I'm in Wisconsin; they're all in Illinois, and so I worked remotely. And I had spent almost a year with Cato on screen, you know, just like seeing, mm-hmm. you know, just going through the files and organizing and working with the post-production team. And being but like, oh, there's bitch in her dumb face. I, I never actually <laughs> met her. <laughs> wow, that's some harsh notes there, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm yeah. really mean. I'm just kidding. I know, I know. It's written in circles on every better. print. Like, Fucking cunt, I hate you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But when, when we <laughs> decided to make Black Mold, Cato came <laughs> DJ, I was just like, I feel like seeing Cato as Angie in Black Mold, I was like, or excuse me, Angie in Revealer, I was like, this is a great fit. This is a great fit. So then when we cast Cato, we still had not met. No. And we never even interacted. No, not at all. And then I sent him an Instagram request and I was like, I hope this isn't really weird. Because like, because I have my Instagram is through my burlesque account, so it's like a bunch of pictures of me and like pasties and a G string, and I'm like, hey, uh, <laughs> <clears throat> I am your actor, I promise. But it was, it was just like, I hope it's not weird for me to slide into your DMs. You're like, no, it's cool. So, we hop on the phone. Yeah, like, we yeah. had like a 30 minute phone call before production. I'm actually driving to where I was going to be spending the next six weeks, the house, mm-hmm. and it was an ice storm just ended, and I'm going through like rural Illinois, and I remember this distinct mm-hmm. moment. There was a DHL delivery truck that just slipped off and was in <laughs> in the ditch and, and he was like excuse me one second yeah. <laughs> but that was that was the oh first time that was the first time we actually directly interacted yeah. and then we met on set yeah when, yeah when Cato yeah. came to but the, I was film. dead ass serious when they were they were like I got I got this call from John and he was like hey I saw you in revealer we've I've known you for years and I'm like <laughs> you haven't. <laughs> I've been watching you I, for years now. Oh, you don't know me, but like I've been watching like, you. Everybody's like, well, because he's so integrated into the the film fam, as we like to call it. Yeah. But um, it was like I just was like kind of new to the scene, and I was like, who are you? And then he was like, we. I don't know. It just I feel like we we vibed right away yeah. as people and as collaborators as well. Too. Right. Yeah, well, and and. But production designer and director of photography and producers Sarah Sharp and Robert Patrick Stern mm-hmm. worked on mm-hmm. Revealer who mm-hmm. brought me in we've been working together since Pity so you know we went from Pity to the stylist short to Gags the Clown to the stylist feature to Revealer you know it's like and there's been a bunch of Pata other things has in a the very middle. robust IMDb so it was it was just 
the fact that Rob and Sarah had worked with Cato, mm-hmm. and you know, I got to know Luke Boyce, the director, yeah. revealer very well, and he spoke so highly of her. It just that's what we do. We find the people that we like and that we want to be around and we want to work with. And then we just hold on to them. And it's like, okay, let's yes. go do another Paddle project. Me. Keep me yeah. safe. In the pad of stable. <laughs> well, you know? And that's cool that, like, and that, no, like, you know, the carpenter stable, the carpenter oh, players, yeah. all yeah, that. But I, that's I just like that phrase. The pad of players. <laughs> the pad of players. The there pad we go. <gasps> the pad of players. Pad but of it's players. also cool because, like, you get, you're also vetted by, like, super rad mm-hmm. people that you already have the working relationship with, like yeah. Sarah and Robert and Jill yeah. and, like, people like that because they're all fucking rad as well. Correct. Like, really, really rad. And I understand. And Sarah's eye is oh my. spot and on. And her van. Her van. Pearl? No. Love, oh, love Pearl. Pearl. Oh, Black Pearl. Pearl. Shout but, out to Pearl. But I do would say the amount of time your guys have to spend with each other. Exactly. And especially in, as you said, you wanted some authentic shooting situations. Yes. And yes. you like it drear. You like it dour. You yeah. know, so mm-hmm. you have to really enjoy each other and be willing to go through that and work like That's that. That's why this was hell. <laughs> Just kidding. No, I'm kidding. I have, no, I, have, I have been <laughs> yeah. truly antagonizing John all weekend, so I have it's to rein it in. But fine. it is—he it's all out of love. But you're right. I mean, yeah. filmmaking is inherently very difficult yeah. and very challenging, Correct. and there's no getting around it. You're going to have long days. You're going to have frustrating days. You're going to get upset. You're going to get exhausted. And to do that with people that you care about yeah. and you respect and you feel respected by—I yeah. mean, in my mind, that's the only way to do it. I can't right. imagine doing these days with people that are Suck. assholes yeah sure. or yeah. you know I yeah. mean, it, 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 it would be so impossible and there's just something so beautiful about you go through hell together mm-hmm. and then you go and eat dinner i mean we we, we would eat dinner. dinner at like four in the morning yep. but with the yep. entire cast and crew yeah. we yeah. would have the ballroom at the hotel ba- okay he and said ballroom it well, is yeah, a conference yeah, room conference at a holiday room, conference room i'm sorry, sure I'm, sorry. I'm sorry i just want to i'm sorry i'm sorry it's four in the morning look it's like what day four of panic fest i'm sorry no no i know i just i thought it was very funny call me out some more God damn it! I'm never gonna live it down. Way to go, Kate! Shame, but it's shame, but it's worth noting. I mean, we would we'd spend all day and all night together, and then we'd wrap, we'd eat together, Mm -hmm. and we'd hang out. And a lot of the cast and crew went in the four-person hot tub at the Holiday Inn that we were, and they would have like 15 people in there. I mean, every night, every night they would do this. There, yeah, the legitimate count. I think one night was 17. Like that was the highest we got into the hot. Like we were not supposed to be doing this. That's That's not a hot tub. That's a pot of boiling hot dogs. That's Mm -hmm. what that is. It's the crew stew. Mm -hmm. That's the crew stew. It's the crew stew. It's the crew stew. But days off. Party. Days off we spent together. Yeah, and, and, it's and we wanted to, that was the thing. That's like, it. Yeah. We wanted you know, like to. we we all got really close. It got to a point where like I, I I rapped and I turned to Jill and I was like, "Cut my hair, <laughs> please." And she did, and she cut and looked awesome. And I was just like, you know, but she just was like, "Yeah, you know, like it it's, just we Tiffany who is in the art department, um, you know, she would have like sheet masks and yeah, like we do face masks. We would parties. do like face masks and listen yes. to like '90s music and like eat gummy bears because we all just really wanted to be together it really was this incredible um as we did call it trauma bonding but not because of not because (laughs) no 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 let me clarify not because of kubrick over here (laughs) (laughs) i'm so sorry no i'm kidding i know i called it that because we were operating under such extreme conditions and like you know i did really kind of get the princess setup of it of like i was in the car but even that was fucking cold and hard and a, a bear of a car to deal with but like you know we were extreme conditions no heat no water no, you know none of this we were really really roughing it in a lot of ways 
and we said it was trauma body but that was the only thing about it that was like that was the major challenge that was the biggest hurdle and to have all of us be just so excited to continue to be together after rap time you know it was just we all we all just would fuck around in the mm -hmm. ballroom and you know bring in beers and like you know it was just great the ballroom yeah the ballroom Thanks. i'm gonna we'll call it that, that for now i know i sound really mean to you <laughs> it's okay i deserve it. again that's the blue one of the blue air features is the ballroom the, the ballroom, ballroom. The ballroom. <laughs> and kato's really mean to john <laughs> but that has to make things significantly easier for yeah. all parties involved because yeah. the last thing you want especially when working under harsh conditions is a prima donna or a christian bale no. oh fucking great you know like I, I mean, don't think that's we ever had any in, like major issues of that. In the 12 years Sorry, now that I've worked in film, I have not had a negative experience on a set. And and as you say that, I'm just internally grateful mm -hmm. that yeah. everyone that we have worked with, you know, like you said, they've kind of been vetted. Mm -hmm. We try to find those people that just we want to spend time with. Yeah. So I don't know what that would be like. And I guess I'm pretty honored and privileged to say that hasn't happened and let's hope you never find out yeah I sure you know I because you. and i think that also comes to you yeah. you know i think it also becomes yeah. like if yeah. you're the director you're the captain of the ship Set you're the, the one that's getting the setting exactly setting the tone and so if you have and you are a positive genuinely really good person and so i think that actually reflects into the set yeah. not so much on the movies because yeah. there, there's some dark <laughs> shit in there but at the same time at the same time it's it, when you talk to any filmmaker, anybody who's been associated with a pad of players, <laughs> nothing but positivity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the positive pad of players, I think, is the main thing, and I think and that's like, all a credit to you and the, the the vetted stable. Yeah, I mean, and truly firsthand experience. I have not interacted with some someone so empathic, like truly, just understood what we were, and like would just like pull you aside and be like. Hey, I know this is really hard. I know this is really challenging, and I appreciate your work. And I just want to say thank you so mm -hmm. much. And it's just like that goes so far on set for anybody. And he would do that to, like from PAs to like lead talent. Like he, the amount of care and and gratitude that John brought to the table just made it that much easier for us to continue to do our jobs and put forth the the best product we could. You know. Well, and, it, and again, just filmmaking is so hard, but this project being that we shot in truly abandoned locations for yeah. four weeks. And this is stuff that I do for fun. Like, <laughs> I do go to these places, but I understand it's not glamorous and it's not fun. And even coming into this project and talking with the producers, I said, we have to find the right people. We have to find the right cast yeah. that is willing to endure this and go through this. And we have to find the right crew. And a lot of the crew, you know, did mm -hmm. come from previous projects, but... And, you know, as a director, it is beyond humbling to look at a crew and a cast and realize these people are here to help you yeah. and to work with you. Yeah. And in my mind, th the last thing you can do is disappoint those people, upset those people sure. and disrespect them. And so it's a no brainer. You've yeah. got you've got to take care. You've got to take care of your cast and crew. I mean, there's no there's no way around it. Yeah. Well, and one thing I do I want to talk about, having now seen it for the first time on yeah. the big screen yeah. with people, when you did your Q&A, you brought everyone yeah. involved with the cast and crew that was there on. You called every single person out. You complimented every single person. You had an anecdote yep. for every single person. So when, and admittedly, I, we, you know why we, I wasn't there, this or that, but only I caught part of that and I genuinely, I started tearing up yeah. because I could feel the gratitude you had towards everyone involved and knowing then there's a lot of heavy stuff going on in the movie 
that's going to allow people to process a lot of stuff and they're going to hopefully have that moment with your all's film where it's going to I had a moment with the invitation where I was like shit I need to deal with some stuff otherwise yeah. I'm going to end up like Evie and this isn't good mm -hmm. so I have a feeling even you're going to have those moments where people are going to probably reach out and say thank you for making this it's <laughs> helping me deal so we I, already have <laughs> I, yeah. I'm not shocked yeah. I'm not shocked yeah. at well, all and That's also the fact that it's so positive and that you keep everything so fun and light yeah. because this is your baby written directed edited this is you and so you could be like it has to be like that and be like real again kubrickian but like the fact that everybody's like no this was a great fucking set he's a great director everything was cool kudos well yeah. i said this the other the other day i can't remember who i was talking to if i wanted to call the shots i'd be a, a novelist or a mm -hmm. painter I'm into mm -hmm. filmmaking because I like to collaborate. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I have ideas. That doesn't mean that they're good ideas. It doesn't mean that they're great ideas. Some of them are bad. Some of them suck. But other people have ideas. And yeah. we all come together to make a project. So to me, we should all put into it. Yeah. And, and I mean, the, all the cast would approach me with ideas. And they'd be like, are you married to lines of dialogue? Hmm. Hell no, because this is my voice. You know, I type one way. You speak another way, mm -hmm. and you are that character. I want you to develop a tongue for that character. And I mean, there were other things that we changed on the script on the fly because, as a group, we decided, well, yeah, that's okay, but this is better. Yeah. And again, it's just like I'm just a person. This is a unit. This mm -hmm. is this mm -hmm. is a group of people that come together. It would be foolish, and I think detrimental to any project to turn ideas away. Yeah. And to not even entertain an idea. And of course, people will present ideas that I won't agree with or I won't want, but still have to welcome it because mm -hmm. people yeah. have better ideas than I do. And mm -hmm. sometimes people say something, I'm like, damn, mm -hmm. we should Why didn't do I that. Think of that? <laughs> <laughs> we should do that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Talking about collaboration behind the scenes, I want to bring in someone who is normally behind the scenes because going to have oh. to be in front of the camera. Uh, the behind the scenes photographer, Dave Burke, come on over. We're going to switch out here, my friend. Hi, Dave. Oh. Hello. So, we've heard everybody. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, fuck. Oh, man. <laughs> so, oh, we heard how everybody, too. like, we had so much fun on the set. Can you verify this? Oh, no, it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I have proof. I have photographic proof. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, don't bring out the photos. I was oh, going to say, what's the, the most blackmailing <laughs> picture? You're like, um, <laughs> if you want to see the light of day. <laughs> really? Unfortunately, there is nothing. <laughs> Rob <laughs> Foley. Yes, everything they said was true. Everything was great. So, yeah. That's very cool. There's something also to be said about behind the scenes, because I know I speak for myself. I love special features, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, Same. like, to see all the cool things and to see the, the how the sausage is made, basically, yeah. you know? Because yes. you can get some things on commentary, but so when you have photographic proof, yeah. you know, that's like, oh, okay, that looks like a fun set. That looks like a really good time. How did you initially come into contact with, with John, then? Well, so I've known John since 2006 yeah. or so, so, something like that. Yeah, there. so we have a mutual friend, and they were in a band together, and I would sometimes go take picture of their band, because I do concert photography. That's how I got into photography. And then when John made Dead Weight, which I think was in 2012? 2012, yes. Okay. So I wasn't involved with that, but his next project was Pity, and that's my car in Pity. Oh. And, uh, and is that I, your debaser thing in there, too? <laughs> I specifically no, no. said that I wanted a late 80s cutlass, and I didn't know who had a late 80s cutlass, and then my roommate, 
who owns a comic book store that we also that's really how we kind of met. Yeah. And he was like, well, I'm pretty sure Burke has a late 80s cut list. And I was like, yeah, it's not like a dark red maroon, is it? He's like, no, I'm pretty sure it is. And that was really how we formed a true friendship and first time we worked together. So then it was, can we use your car? Yes. It's like, I also do a lot of concert photography. Do you want some behind the scenes? I was like, yes. Yeah. So when I said, well, you're going to have my car. Do you mind if I come take pictures? He's like, yeah, sure. And luckily, um, we weren't doing the audio Correct. With it, right. so I could make all the noise I wanted. I didn't have a mirrorless camera at that time. And so I shot stuff, and I you know, submitted it to John. He's like, I didn't know you were really a photographer. And I was like, I don't know that I am either, <laughs> but thanks. And, yeah, so then Gags the Clown was the next thing mm-hmm. that we did together, and that's on pity. I met Rob and Sarah and the other paddle players. I don't know how I feel about this term, paddle players. I don't know how I feel about this. And yeah, so then I've worked on some other productions with them that weren't John's uh, babies. And then, yeah, Black Mold came up, and, you know, I think shortly after he had the script, he was telling me, okay, get ready, something's coming. Well, and, awesome. a, and a big part of it, too, is I, as director, you're so focused, and you're consumed by so much going on. There's a lot on set I don't get to experience. Yeah. And I don't get to see all the work that everyone's doing at a time. Like, sometimes I see the, the product of the work but I don't see the work itself. Mm -hmm. So it's not even just, hey, we need stills for promotional, but I always tell Burke, like, I want people working. I want to see what this set is because I miss so much. And then production ends, and I'm like, what happened? What happened? (laughs) Yeah, but then I have the photos to go through, and then I get to experience what everyone else does. And it's it's just also nice to be able to give the cast and crew, like, Here's yeah, photos of it you. Was really you know, it's cool. a documentation of something that we all came together to do, and now here's a little piece of it for you. That's cool. Yeah, That's I think cool. there's a photo of every single person yes. that was on set, yes. from like the PA who was there one day to the lead talents, producers. I don't think there's anybody. There's not at least one photo. Also, fun fact: Dave has written into the script. He is. They do mention. They do mention photographers uh, that they go with and, the be, uh, and they say Dave and that was but it's not very flattering yeah, uh, well, I, it, look, look, it was kind of like always plays it look, safe it wasn't it wasn't uh, it wasn't personal <laughs> but it was convenient so yeah. <laughs> so was it like uh, last day of vacation or last day of summer camp after the last day of rap and everything he, I mean yeah, yeah my I I rapped technically the day before rap and it was like it, we were doing all the wild lines in the test cells when CJ like takes um, Tanner back I in there. I love those lines. They were, yeah, that was that was really fun. And like for for me, that was like that last day of summer camp where I was like, yeah, maybe sign my yearbook. But there, the, I will never forget this. This was like one of the coolest things that I've ever gotten to experience on set. Was we were doing these wild lines, but we're like, we're gonna record them in the like area around the test cells because it was so echoey. Yeah, the reverb. Was yeah, just the unreal. reverb was insane. Like you could whisper and you could hear it just permeate the whole thing. So um, everybody's there, and we've got Nick coming over top with sound. I'm I'm mic'd as well, and John would just stand really close to me, and he would just he just whisper in my ear. He's like, okay, take it this way now. Okay, but what if you read it this way? And like. So we're, he's cueing me and we're like trying these different lines and it was just like this, it was so creepy and like spine tingling, but it was also this like really profound moment for me where I was just like, well, this is the last thing I'm going to do on set. And you just get that like, 
kind of like bittersweet moment. So yeah. for me, it did, yeah, it did feel like summer camp and it was like this really special moment that was like very private for us, like as people and as collaborators, but also this very like we're out, yeah. you know, it's like it, it felt, I'm a theater person, so it felt yes. like those moments. Yes, you know? absolutely. And those really intimate moments that you get. Um, and then I, like everybody was like, we're wrapped. And I was like, it's 7 a.m. and we just wrapped. And Jill cut my hair and I was like getting ready to head back to Illinois, but they had one more day and we had beautiful weather that day that I wrapped and then it tanked to like 18 degrees for the it scarecrow day. I felt it so bad because for me it was like, this is great. And then they were like, oh God. <laughs> Overnight and it was like 20 degrees yeah. with strong gusts of wind Ooh. and we were yeah like, man yeah, and, and, it, and it's the last yeah. it's the last day so everyone's just exhausted and tired and we're like we have to get it done yeah. oh my gosh i know but I know. yeah the the last day it's it's always such a surreal feeling because you spend so much time in pre-production thinking about this project and and going through everything and production is honestly the shortest aspect of filmmaking you know you, we spent probably five months pre-production 22 days to shoot it and then 10 months in post-production so it it happens and then it ends and and as a director it's also very weird because i'm i get accustomed to having 40 people around me at all times and as a director everyone's talking to you they got questions for you you gotta you gotta answer and yeah. just just be present right and then all of a sudden i go home and then I'm just by myself and I'm just sitting there and then I start to edit and I'm by myself. Mm -hmm. And so then it's just this, there's always this post-depression or post-production, well, post-production meaning. Post-production depression. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Post-production depression just because your body's fueling on adrenaline, you know, it's running yeah. on adrenaline and all this stuff. But then it's just that communal aspect. Mm -hmm. Then it gets sucked out of you. And then you're just left there and you're like, I don't even know what my life looks like anymore. Mm -hmm. I've been down here for seven and a half weeks. I've been away from everything at home. And I come home and I'm walking around in my apartment that I've been living in for 12 years. And I'm like, this place doesn't look familiar or feel familiar or, mm -hmm. or anything. And then it's also like, I wake up and I don't have anyone to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like it, it's, it's it really weird. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and this one was, it always happens, but this one was hard. Like this one, I probably like for two months, like I was like down. I was just really, really sad, and just it took me a long time to kind of get back into normalcy. Well, because you seem like, you seem like an actual people person. Like you seem a lot like me, where we want to interact. We have that, like, hey, tell me a joke, say something to me, you know. And when we're used to it for so long, and then deprived, it's like going from general pop to solitary. Absolutely, and you're just like. Where's everybody? I don't want to be alone with my thoughts. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? And yes. so, no, I 100% get it. And I think, too, I'm a, I'm a person, my therapist calls me an energy vampire. You know, like I feed off of other people's yeah, energy. Yeah. So if it's just like, if I'm one-on-one -on -one with a person, it's yeah, sure, you know. Very complimentary. You know. <laughs> Colin Robinson. Right. You goddamn fucking guy, Colin Robinson. If I'm, if I'm one-on-one -on -one with a person, yeah, I'll be lively and everything like that. But right. you put me in a room full of people and it's just like I get charged. I have a running joke that he's, <laughs> yeah. he's the prince yeah. of panic fest yeah. because like we'll be wandering and he just like will disappear in a crowd. We're like we're really we're going somewhere. Yeah. Okay, but bye. So, so then I think I, there, I get it dude. It's like this withdrawal that yeah. you go through. Yeah. And yeah and then it's like and it's it's almost that thing you know what would make you feel better be around a bunch of people 
But then, because you're going through this withdrawal, the last thing you want to do is, is be, be around, around people. people. That's exactly <laughs> the thing. Yes. You want all that excitement, but when you were deprived of it, and then you're like, I need this, but I don't want to go out and deal with anybody. I'm almost, you're almost complacent with Correct. your solitary. And it only takes something like a panic fest or like making a movie or like a vacation or a con to like, actually get you up and running like yes i can get my mojo back and do this again thank I you i can't wait to actually like come to the theater and see it from start to finish yeah. again and like i know those guys you know so like <laughs> this is great i sure hope we get theatrical you know i hope you get that opportunity to get to theater if not i can guarantee we'll bring it back to screenland at fuck some yeah point. guarantee we'll, we'll, we'll have to do a that. friday night frights for black mold we'll have to do oh, it yeah. we'll have to do a friday night frights with black mold kansas city deserves more of the pad players we'll do it <laughs> 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 you'd be so upset about that oh, Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's going to be it for our dispatch for right now. We have a lot more fun things coming up for you, a lot more Panic Fest shit. But again, thank you guys so much for doing this. Thank you. Uh, thank check you, out Greg. everything that they have. Check out Revealer. Check out Gags if you can. Everything oh, is wonderful. So we'll be right back. We'll be back in two and two. Thank you. Bye. And it should be noted, we did have to cut a little bit of the conversation because we got a little spoiler-ish. Yeah, uh, that was John's request. Yeah, I saw that. But it was something that you genuinely enjoyed, mm -hmm. which we always appreciate. Which you know what we appreciate? Everyone involved yeah. with Black Mold. No, legit love all those people. Now that being said, that was our I last. Can't help, but I was getting, f I, I was into it. it. What I saw was fucking rad. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to see like. I can't wait to see it proper. And I yeah. yeah. Listen, we we we're people that know people. Ideally, would love to bring it back as a Friday Night Friday, as yeah. we mentioned. As we mentioned, it'd be slick. Now that being said, that was our last dispatch. Now we are going to be possibly closing out next week with the game of games, <laughs> which talking about memories being made. Oh yeah, so much fun with this particular episode. This is and fun. This is a fun game of games. I will say, probably sounds the best that we've ever had it recorded in the now many years that we put it on. Lessons have finally been learned, but no. Panic Fest has been a blast. So until that time next week, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we'll see you in your dreams. Panic Fest. Panic Fest.